Welcome to Beyond the Game, Wealth Mastery for Athletes. I'm your host, Chris Benson, joined by nine-year NFL vet, Alec Ogletree. Beyond the Game is a podcast where we will provide a playbook for financial growth, both on and off the field. Join us each week as we have an in-depth conversation with other professional athletes who've mastered the art of wealth creation. They're going to share their triumphs, setbacks, and maybe some lessons learned so you don't make the same mistakes. Join us. We think you're going to enjoy it. Welcome to Beyond the Game. Today, we have the closer, Matt Caps, seven-year MLB vet. He has an incredible story. The thing that really stood out to me in this interview was Matt did so many things where he just moved forward without knowing what it was, basically what he was doing or what the outcome was going to be. There's a lot of great nuggets in here for you to understand that you don't need to know everything to just move the ball forward. And so his story is a good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. Matt. Welcome to Beyond the Game. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Alec, here. pleasure to see you. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Alec does not have any tennis trophies this time. No, he not can yet. only bring one trophy at a time. Yes. He's, <laughs> got, his, he's got his cornhole trophy that he's know. just not going to show people today. For those Which is fine. For they, those they'll get a glimpse of it. They'll get a glimpse of it. Those listeners who are not on YouTube, go back and watch the YouTube video. It was a barn burner. Mm-hmm. Barn burner cornhole game. Great match. It was a good match, but Alec Ogletree... He, he came out on top. Or prevailed. <laughs> <laughs> I need a rematch. That's true. We'll get another one. Yeah, That's true. Well, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time. Let's start with a little bit of your story. You're a local kid, mm-hmm. Douglasville guy. You're like every baseball kid's dream, right? Small towns. Small Georgia town. legends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. It. Yeah. West side of Atlanta. I grew up in, uh, in Douglasville, Georgia, when Douglasville was a small town. It's uh, not so much of a small town anymore. Uh, but when I was a kid, I, I tell the story, I could go left out of my neighborhood and walk about a mile and a half, and it was all cow pasture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw kind of the transition of of Douglasville, Georgia. But uh, from the time I could even formulate a sentence or, or remember a memory, all I ever wanted to do with my life was play baseball. I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity out of high school to get drafted and, and go play. Where'd that come from? Was that family... Dad, no brothers. No, so it's actually that's a great story. My dad didn't want me to play. Uh, my dad was a basketball player growing up and had opportunities to play in college, and uh, unfortunately had some health issues at a young age where he couldn't go play. Uh, but dad wanted me to play basketball and knew nothing about baseball, uh, so I'd, I'd play in the neighborhood. And in my neighborhood, I was um, I had a younger brother, but I was the youngest of kind of our group. Everybody, all the other boys in our neighborhood were a year or two older than me. So I'd go out and play with all the older kids and uh, didn't realize it at the time, but I was as good or better than a lot of them. And one of my neighbor's dads finally talked my dad into let me try out, said, look, I'll take him, I'll drive him. Uh, You don't even have to go, but Mm -hmm. Matt needs to play. So I I remember it. I was in the backseat of my dad's car, Buick Skylark, red, (laughs) candy red Buick Skylark. (laughs) And uh, dad said, you know what? I'm going to sign you up for baseball. And I remember just being elated about it. So excited. Eight years old. Were you a Braves Uh, fan at the time? Were you watching on TV? Huge Braves fan. So you were soaking it in. You just weren't playing yet. Right. And one of my earliest childhood memories was the 1990 World Series, the Mm -hmm. A's and Reds. And I I had kind of a a friendly wager with my dad uh, as to who who would win. And I I was like, oh, Oakland's going to win. Knew Mm -hmm. nothing about him. You know, Wait, that was the earthquake series, wasn't it? No, that was, I don't remember. That was before, oh, uh, before okay. 90. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati took it. And uh, I believe it, if memory serves me, it was a four game sweep. Uh, 
I was seven years old, so I, I could be wrong on some of that. Um, but I remember in the basement watching, and it was like it was cool because he, my parents let me stay up late, mm. you know, and school age. Yeah. And like, oh, it's eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. Matt's still in the basement watching Major League Baseball with his dad. So I started playing at eight years old. Uh, my dad was kind of an assistant coach and started learning the game. I remember him reading the rule book down in the basement on his couch. He'd mm-hmm. read the rule book, try to understand and uh, get to know it. He, um, like I said, he didn't want me to uh, to play. And later in life, he told me it's because of the politics of Little League Baseball. Okay. Still uh, is this. Yeah. Well, Every youth what, sport in the history of the it world. Still is this. It's yeah. Crazy. So at, at nine, I played at eight at Bill Art and uh, made the 11, 12-year-old All-Star team as an eight-year-old. First year in. Mm-hmm. First year play in organized baseball. At nine, we moved to Hunter Park and... My dad was the president of the board. Yeah. <laughs> so so he resisted because he didn't want to deal with the Little League politics, and then he took them over. Uh, but played at 9, 10, uh, well, all the way until I got into high school at Hunter Park in mm. Douglasville. And uh, we had a good group of kids around us. We had some really good teams. At 9, we went to the Mustang League World Series in Dallas, Texas. Is that uh, like at, Little League World Series now? Kind of. Yeah. So, like, there's different divisions. You've got Pony Baseball. Now mm-hmm. you've got Cal Ripken Baseball, yeah. and you've got Little League, and they're, like, different divisions there's uh, a little bit of difference in the rules bases and and pitching mound distances and stuff like that so they got so. different i only know about the pony i didn't know about cal you said cal ripkin so cal ripkin now has his own league and it's kind of like a travel program okay like travel like uh tournaments that you can sign up for oh, and play okay. and stuff like that okay. babe ruth league uh stuff like that so in little league i believe it ends at 12 mm, i think and right. then pony goes all the way up through 18 Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to Hunter Park and they had adopted Pony. So it was broken up into two age, uh, two year age groups. Nine and 10 was Mustang. 11 and 12 was Bronco. 13, 14 was Pony. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what 15, 16, 17, 18 was, was tagged. But um, played there until I started in high school and then started and played in high school. I, I started. Um, Is Douglasville baseball like a baseball school? Or do they have big boy, big athletes coming out of that school? I mean, was it historically? Uh, no. So I went to Alexander High School. Okay. Uh, there was one guy that had been drafted, not out of high school, but he went to Campbell and played and then was drafted out of Campbell. His name was Reggie Davis. He was okay. a catcher. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Reggie last summer. Hmm. Um, but uh, Terry Harper, remember Terry Harper? Hmm. Terry Harper went to Douglas County High School. Uh, so he was from my town. And way back in the 50s, uh, Taylor Phillips was a left-handed pitcher from Douglasville. Okay. Mm. Uh, so there's there's been a handful of guys come through that have made it in the big leagues since. Um, well, while I was in the big leagues, Brett Campbell was a, a, a Douglas County graduate, and then he went to Georgia and played, mm-hmm. and transferred to Kennesaw State. He was drafted by Washington and made it to the big leagues for with Washington for a little while. Okay. Now he's a scout for the Mets. Chris, you can come to Georgia and find any type of sports you want to play mm-hmm. and find an athlete. Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, our our weather kind of lends itself to, to baseball being a yeah. dominant sport you're gonna around find here. A, you're going to find a dominant person. Yeah, no doubt. There's a lot of athletes here. There are. There are. And the population around metropolitan Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my parents had a rule with my brother and me in high school. You either had to actively be playing a sport or you had to go get a job. Yeah. So Same. my brother went to work <laughs> and I lettered in four sports. <laughs> so, but um I, I played everything I could. I loved everything that I did do, but my passion was baseball. But mm. during during football season, football was the greatest thing ever. During basketball season, basketball was the greatest thing ever. Yep. Uh, the only thing I, I did and lettered in that I didn't love was cross country. Mm. Um, 
if you're not watching on YouTube, and you guys can attest to this for those people, my body's not built to be a cross country <laughs> runner. I'm not. I'm not set up to run distances. So not now, but uh, back then you could. Back do then, it. no. Back then you could do it. No. What were you doing back I then? Did it. Uh, it's a 5K, so it's what 3.2 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best I ever did it in was like 24 minutes. <laughs> it's a little slow. I know. Yeah. Were you Which, doing it just to stay in shape for the other four sports? And so I didn't have to go get a job. Yeah. Oh, got it. That's why I ran <laughs> track. I ran track. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I'm, I'm running cross country. Mm-hmm. But I, I did. I mean, I was a little pudgy uh, coming out of eighth grade. And you know, my, my whole life, I've been husky. I was, I, I joke, I was a junior in high school before I knew husky wasn't a brand. <laughs> <laughs> they call you they call you big bone. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, big bone. That's yeah. it. So I so I ran and um the guy that was a cross country coach was actually a high school um and college runner, lived across the street from me when I was like three, four years old. His name is Brian Robinson. Uh Brian actually used to throw to me all the time when I was a little kid. You know, dad was off working and uh Brian was across the street. I'd go knock on the door and he'd throw to me all day. Uh, so Brian's awesome. And then he he took over the track program at Alexander and that carried into cross country. So did yeah. you did you pitch all through high school? Well, I know high school you probably did. Middle school as well, or were you kind of moving around the field? So I, so I didn't. Oh, okay. Uh I re- I, I threw, uh, but I didn't really start pitching until my junior senior year of high school. Hmm. So I was our as a freshman, I was our starting catcher uh on the varsity high school team. And I was I caught all the way through high school. I came in my senior year. Uh, I would say I was probably our third best pitcher, or, or I shouldn't say third best, but third most used pitcher. Uh, we had a couple of guys. We had a lefty, Case and Britt, that was pretty good. That ended up going and playing in college. Uh, David Smitelli was pretty good. I, and and back then, it's a little different than it is now. Like guys mm-hmm. specialize so much. Yeah, now. you probably see that. Yeah, uh, same football as well. Yeah, we played everything, but I would catch, and then I would come in and throw hard the last two innings. Yeah. I made I made Team Georgia after my junior year, uh, which is a high school all star team. Okay, so as a they compile I can't remember the roster size fifteen guys whatever that are the best of the best yeah. in the state of Georgia. How did you make and, that team? Not in baseball, <laughs> football for sure. <laughs> so so I went and played. Um, I hit cleanup and I caught. I split the catching duties with this guy named Brian McCann that you ran into. Mm. Uh, Jeff Rancourt was on that team. So oh, this it's is, like these guys. This is loaded. We were good. We they were. were Brandon Moss was on that team. Stack. Stack. We were. We were stacked. We, and you were. You're batting cleanup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stack. So I, so you I could signed, mash too. I signed to go to college as a catcher. Okay. Uh, and I signed with LSU. Okay. And, you know the late '90s, early 2000s. LSU is still a perennial baseball powerhouse. Yeah. So, um, no colleges had any conversations about pitching at all. It was all catch and hit. But in that tournament uh, for Team Georgia, we were McAllister, Oklahoma, and I had been playing left field this particular game. Uh, Mac was catching, and I heard the coaches talking about pitching and how they wanted to line it up. We were beating, I think, Team Canada. We were beating pretty good, like 11-1, to 10-0. Play hockey. We're, <laughs> that's hockey. right. It's a hockey team. We were beating them pretty good, and we had Team California the next night mm-hmm. in the championship series. Um so the coaches were talking about um, Coach Chester, Stuart Chester, who was at Cartersville, is now at Buford, uh, was co- talking to Coach McDonald about pitching. And I overheard it and just said, I can throw. You know, and they're like, you pitch? I said, well, I mean, I pitched some for my high school team. They're like, 
what do we got to lose? You know, yeah. save a guy, save a couple of guys, sure. like, let Caps go out there. And so I threw the last two innings in that game and was 95 to 97 <laughs> as a junior in high in school. High school. <laughs> there were a lot of scouts there, a lot of radar guns and stuff like that. So from then on, anything on the pro side was you're going to pitch. Yeah. So if you had not done that, would you have been a major leaguer? I, you know what? I, I don't think I can honestly answer that. Um, I did have five at-bats in the big leagues. I had one hit. I, I saw it. Yeah, I, I saw it. But it, it's now to to my, I, I guess, uh, giving myself a little more credit. It had been like six years since I had seen live pitching. Mm. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, I'm facing uh, a major league caliber pitcher. But um, the first pitch of my the first pitch I saw as a hitter in the big leagues was like right at my head. <laughs> and I remember is at PNC Park, it was left-handed pitcher. I can't remember who it was, but I fall down and I'm dusting myself off. And I have the thought in my head, like charge oh, the mound. Oh my, no, I wasn't thinking oh, that. I was, I was thinking that's like 98 miles an hour. And I turn and I look at the scoreboard and it said 88 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have, I don't stand a chance. Yeah. Fortunately, Wait. that at bad, he walked me. But so so you pitched, and then at that point, did that did your whole trajectory change? Because I'm always fascinated. Like there's these moments in our lives where something happens, mm -hmm. and then your life completely takes a right turn and and fundamentally shifts the path that you were on. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think being seen, I, I hadn't really been scouted as a pitcher. I'd been scouted as a catcher and a hitter, uh, and then at that tournament, and Got and it. I also I was facing the best of the best for you know, the other teams and mm -hmm. I was throwing really hard and I had success. So it was like from then on anything on the pro side, it's like, so my senior year, when I, anytime I pitched, there was a bunch of scouts here. Got there it. Were, there were a lot more scouts there to watch me pitch than there were yeah. to hit and catch. Yeah. So, so senior year, you're, you're in a position where you know you have a shot or mm -hmm. still kind of just love playing baseball or are there, are there like mm -hmm. Alec talked about, you know, you had scholarships and stuff, right, yeah. already to go to school. And you was going to go to LSU, mm -hmm. as you say, right? So, but all of this was based on you playing catcher. Yep. Right? And you started pitching in that tournament coming your senior year. Now you faced with the choice of, like, do I go play catcher? Mm -hmm. Or do I, you know, entertain this, the pro? Obviously, yeah. you know, you're going to entertain the pros because, like, that's where you want to get to. So that decision came a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, that came after I graduated. So okay. uh, I ended up signing with LSU, wanted to go to Georgia. It's a long uh -huh. story why I didn't uh, sign with Georgia. Um, went to Georgia Southern and strongly considered Georgia Southern because they were the only mm -hmm. school that was going to let me play football and baseball. Mm -hmm. um, everybody else that recruited me on the football side was, nah, you're not going to play baseball. Yeah. Come here, you can play football. Yeah. And everybody else that recruited me on the baseball side is like, no, football's done. Uh, Southern, mm -hmm. uh, both the football staff and the baseball staff was like, yeah. We'll do both. Yeah. Yeah, we're good with that. So I, I really considered that. Uh, and I went down to Statesboro and had the time of my life. For sure. <laughs> it's like, for sure. I could live here for a couple <laughs> of years, you know? Uh, so so that kind of factored in. But <clears throat> when when LSU called me, <clears throat> excuse me, when LSU called me, it was kind of a game changer. I mean, it was it's LSU. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I made the decision. They made their offer. I made the decision. If I go to college, this is where I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. So I played my senior year. Uh, I believe it was about a week, maybe 10 days after graduation, the draft happened. And I ended up getting drafted. And a couple of weeks later, it came down to, what do I want to do? And, and I didn't want to pitch. I hated pitching, if I'm being candid. 
Um, so I started thinking about junior college because at the time you could do what's called a draft and follow. Mm -hmm. So they could draft you. And then the team that drafts you can follow your progression for one year of junior college. If you go to a four-year school. And they still own your rights? They still own your rights. If you go to a four-year school, you have to go for three years. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can't, you're not, you got to play three years before you're draft eligible again. So I started looking at junior colleges and then just one day it kind of hit me. Um, you know, my dad was self-employed and it started having some pretty significant health issues. I kind of had the realization like, you know, going to school, even on a full scholarship, there's going to be a burden. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, what am I going to school for? Yeah. Let's play baseball. Yeah. So I um, decided to to go through the draft process and, and sign with the Pirates. Uh, got down with the Pirates and I still... Where did you get drafted, Matt? I was in the seventh round. Okay. Mm -hmm. how, and, many, how many rounds are in baseball? There were 50 then. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now there's 25. And at that point agents around you i mean are you are you prepared for that or i don't is, think you're ever really prepared for it until you go through it i did have an advisor okay uh, who ended up becoming my my agent great guy great family were they projecting uh, you to go seventh round or like what? i was projected to go higher yeah yeah so like there, what? there was like, um after my junior year i was a ninth rated player in the country mm. and then i got hurt that summer i broke a bone in my foot uh and then you know fell i struggled i didn't have as good a year my senior year as I did yeah. my junior year. Um, so kind of fell down yeah, a little yeah. bit. Um, but still, I mean, the seventh round is is pretty high. It's very high Ten round for 50 pick. rounds. And um, good opportunity. Got a little bit of a signing bonus. I signed for 150 grand, uh, which for me at 18 years old and, and how I grew up, <laughs> rich. like I'm never going to have to worry about anything in my life. <laughs> uh, so I, I wasn't prepared for that. So what did that look like? I mean, because Alec and I have talked about this with him and other guests. It's, you know, Alec, like he opened his check and he's like, where's the rest? Yep. Like, he's like, taxes. Yep. What's well, taxes? hold on. Let me ask this question. So I guess, were they like slotted in terms of what you made already? Or was that something that's negotiated? So now it's slotted. Okay. Yeah. Back, back then, you could negotiate. A you could bit. negotiate. Yeah, and, yeah. and I had some leverage yeah. because of what I had done earlier in my high school career. Uh, so, like, I signed for a little bit more than what I probably should have gotten with that pick. Okay. Um, I mean, you're talking 10, 15 grand. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but still, it's 10, 15 For grand. sure. <laughs> so, but now now everything is slotted. slotted. Like, you've got— That's how ours is, too. Like. They're, they're penalized. The team's penalized if they go over slot. And stuff I was like pissed. Yeah. I was so pissed. Because when I came out was—it might have been—who's the last, the last group to— I want to say it was the 08 or no, maybe 10 or something like that, that had a chance to negotiate their uh, contracts okay. before it became slotted. And when I came out, it was, you was already going to make. Yep. You got picked here. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is what we're going to give you. Yeah, take yeah. it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, take it or leave it. Like, you can't do nothing about it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Is Matt with in that situation? So you got 150 grand, more money than you've ever seen, mm -hmm. right? Most of us at 18, I know. Mm -hmm. rich, like, guys, was rich. Rich. What, what was the mindset going in or who was in your ear? I mean, was your agent or maybe your advisor at that point, maybe it wasn't your agent. How was money perceived by you? Um, so, so my agent didn't help me with any, anything financial okay. uh, in the beginning. I, I, it was me. It was me. I didn't have anybody. Eighteen-year-old you. I didn't have anybody. What What was mom and dad foundational money? Cause we we said it a bunch of times. Like, what What are the conversations about money at the dinner table? Like, how did you grow up around it? What mm -hmm. was the 
attitude towards it. I got to do this many appraisals this week to for us to eat next week. Got mm-hmm. it. It's kind of how I grew up. So scarcity mindset. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, it was paycheck to paycheck. Yep. And um, you know, it, it's not a it's not a pity thing. I had a great childhood. Uh, my brother and I didn't do without at all, but we watched our parents go without a fair mm-hmm. amount and sacrifice for things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know we we lived a good life until Dad really got sick, and then when he couldn't work. My mom had, he had his first heart attack when I was nine years old. Um, and when I was 10, my mom took a job with the school system strictly for the benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, she probably lost money uh, when you look at how far she had to drive every day. Um, but she took the job for the benefits yeah. you know, in case there was something catastrophic happen. Uh, and, you know, when my dad was healthy, he, he, he worked hard and provided pretty well. Uh, but then about that time, my my senior year, he had a second heart attack on my 17th birthday. Uh, so that was, uh, what, fall my junior year. And then that's when things really started. I, I could see the writing on the yeah. wall and things kind of turning. So I took <coughs> I took 150 grand. I bought a $30,000 truck. Um, my aunt and uncle had actually bought a car from me my senior year to get to and from baseball and all the other stuff. So I paid off the rest of it. I think it was about 6,500, maybe seven grand. And um, gave it to my brother, who was going into his freshman year. Okay. So, actually, I think my mom drove it for a year, and then he drove it when he turned 16. Okay. Mm-hmm. But was there any mindset yet of, hey, this may be the last check I get. I no. got to do something. No. Zero. Okay. No. That's the no. truck. Mm-hmm. So, I bought the truck. F-150? Uh, no, I bought a Dodge Ram, because it was the cheapest one, by like five or six grand. What? I looked at the Silverado, I looked at the F-150, and it was right when Dodge came out with the 20-inch wheels from the from the factory. So, the qu- real awesome. question is, do you still drive a Dodge? I don't. What do you drive now? Uh, GM now. Okay. Yeah. He's a Dodge, man. No, I'm not. I have a Ford. That's a Ford? That's a Raptor. Is that the Raptor? I have a Raptor. Alec has this ridiculous truck that's all jacked up with a train horn. What do you drive? What do you drive? A GM? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good buddy of mine. 2,500 diesel. Black, so, that's like it. As long as he's there, I'm going to drive GM. Yeah. They, they like the best cars to me. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, nice interior. I, I did have, uh, I had a F-150 Platinum and mm-hmm. love that thing. 2014 <laughs> or 15, something like that. I traded it in for the GM with my buddy. So you make some money, then what? Start playing. Yeah. Go play. Miners uh, first. Oh, yeah. How do, how do minor league contracts work? Uh, your sign-in bonus, the 150 was a sign-in bonus, so they give that to you, and I got it in two installments. So I got it the year, I got half of it the year I got drafted and half of it the next year, mm. uh, which was nice. Broke up the tax payment a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, Did you, did know, you know about taxes at the time? Uh, when you first? It was like, hey, you got to pay taxes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that ain't going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? But For sure. That was kind of a, a, a rude awakening. Yeah. You know, if you will. But... Um, they, like they don't pay you right away. It's like a month after you sign. Yeah. They they pay you your bonus. I, I so, guess I was assuming like at the draft they're like no. And here's your check. Here's your check. No. <laughs> so I go I go down to Bradenton, Florida, and I'm in rookie ball. So okay. at the time there was you got the big leagues, and then you've got triple A, and then double A, and then high A, and then low A, mm-hmm. and then short season A, and then there's rookie ball. So I went to rookie ball. Mm-hmm. And I'm living in like it's like barracks. You know it's tiny little room, probably probably about the size of this room, uh, with four beds, 
two sets of bunk beds and there's like saloon doors that go into the two sinks <laughs> and the shower and the toilet. And it's like, Hey man, I'm Matt. Yeah. Nice to meet you. It's like, we're really going to know each other really well by the end of this, this, uh, for y'all in there. Well, there, the, fortunately there were only two of us, but mm. when you go to spring training and stuff like that, yeah, there's four to a room. And are there like people with different age groups? Like usually or is everybody's, everybody's the same, the same age? So rookie ball is usually like, uh, 18, the new draftees. Yeah. And 18, 19, maybe you got a 20 year old in there. Okay. Uh, so we're all pretty similar in ages. Um, you also have the, the rehab guys. Yeah. Guys, minor league guys that are rehabbing shoulder, whatever injuries. Uh, they're down. They're down there with you. But um, in rookie ball, your day starts at 6.30. Okay. So the cafeteria opens at 6. You go in. You can eat. Um, you go into the training room. You do whatever you got to do, which at 18 years old, I didn't have to do much to get mm -hmm. ready to play. Uh, and then we're on the field stretches at 7.15. Uh, so it's it's early mornings. Um, Should have been early nights. Wasn't always. Uh, but I remember going, games are at 12 o'clock in Bradenton, Florida. It's so warm. 120 degrees every single day. Uh, so it's hot, but your day is done by 2.30, 3 o'clock. Once the game's over, you're done. So then it's, you know, for the guys that had cars, I was one of them that had a car down there. Uh, you can drive around, go to yeah. the mall, walk around, go to the beach. You know, it's, it's a pretty good life um, if you can afford it. But I remember going to the mall. Uh, in Bradenton, and I saw a pair of Nike tennis shoes that I wanted to buy. They were $110. I was like, all right, we'll get paid. we we'll get paid on Friday. Like, I'll get my paycheck, <laughs> put it in the bank. I'll go buy my shoes. Uh, my first paycheck in professional baseball, $96. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you put the shoes on layaway. Two-week <laughs> two paycheck. So this is like, uh, of course, I'm disappointed about it. And I'm call I called my dad and was telling him about it. I was like, I was going to go buy the shoes, you know, whatnot. And my dad's like, I'll go put 40 bucks in your account. Like, go buy your shoes. Thanks, Dad. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's like, thanks, Dad. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Yeah, so um, so I ended up getting the shoes, uh, which was awesome. Yeah, sure. I, I don't even remember what kind they were. They were Nike something. Uh, but I probably rocked them. And oh, you look good, I'm wore, sure. Yeah, looked great in them, whatnot. But uh, I started looking through my, my paycheck, my pay stub, I'm like, they took out $4.50 for laundry. Mm -hmm. They took out um, what I thought was free food. Mm -hmm. They charged it. They charged you. Uh, <laughs> you know, room and board. Like, I don't have, I'm thinking, all right, you know, it really, really sucks yeah. living in this. Place. Yeah. It's basically like barracks. Yeah. It's a Motel 8 that's on the property, but they own it. They run it. I mean, the doors open up to go out to a walkway on the, to the field. in the parking lot. I'm like, this really sucks. But you know what? It's free. No, nah, it ain't free. <laughs> So my nine hundred and fifty dollars a month is now like gone. A hundred bucks, fifty yeah. bucks a week. That was crazy to me. I think we we had one guest on. I think it was Kevin Minter who talked about like the overhead charges that the teams are charging the players. Like yeah. how it can. I think he was talking about the Vikings when he was uh, talking about the specific reference. But you know, charging for the food after the games. Yeah. And in my head, you know, I, I, I'm naive to it, but I get it. If I'm the owner, it's like, well, you know, like. I'm putting it out there. Somebody's paying for it. It's yep. probably not going to be me. Yep. And I'm running a business. Yep. You're my employee. That's right. You're going to pay it. That's um, right. But shocking to me, you know, as a as a a naive watcher, you mm. just think like, hey, that's that's all. They great. just get that free. It's like yeah. that's yeah. just not free. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody, everybody's got their hand out. Yeah. You know, and and there's there's things that you want to do. Um, you know, like I 
I want to take care of my family sure. if they need it. Um, Not in rookie ball. No, but you can't, you yeah. know. And then when dad really got sick, it kind of became, all right, I, I had to help. You know, mm-hmm. and there goes the signing bonus. Next thing I know, that's gone. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm fortunately I'm in double A now, so I'm making twelve hundred bucks a month. So it's like, and I and I had a great setup in double A. I had a host family that would not take any money at all. Gotcha. So they were mm. they were awesome. So at that point, I thought I was rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right after, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in double A before I got to the big leagues, and then I got to the big leagues, and you know the rest was has been really good. So wait, wait, but, just just for me to double A to big leagues. So how do contracts work at that point? Like, are you signing? Is there like a league minimum, like there is in football? Once is. you're on the active roster, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. So 2002, I go to rookie ball. Yep. 03, I go to spring training. I stay in rookie ball all year. I had a great year. Uh, I'm a starting pitcher at this point, and they sent me to high A for the playoffs, and I, I pitched really well in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. 04, I go to um, well. End of 03, I go back to Instructional League, which is a month-long um, time period down in Bradenton where the spring training site is, and you play like these basically like scrimmages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you work on different things that you need to work on. Your pickoff move, your slider, or whatever it is that you need to kind of work on for the next year. Island. Yeah. So I did all that. Um, <clears throat> and then 04, or yes, 04, I go to spring training, um, and they tell me I'm going to go to low A. So I'm not going to get a chance to go back to high. I'm going to go to low A, but I'm going to be the opening day starter, which was like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm fired up. I'm excited about that. I got my tail kicked the entire year. <laughs> I didn't make it out of the second inning on opening night. Uh, about halfway through the season, they send me down to short season A. Um, continue to get my <coughs> tail kicked all year. Go to back to instructional league, uh, which I didn't think I would get invited because <coughs> that's usually for the prospects. And I'm like, all right, I've worked my way off the prospect list. It ain't going to happen. So go to 05. I almost retired uh, that off season. It was like January and I was talking to my dad about it. And uh, I was going to retire, walk on at West Georgia, try to play football and mm-hmm. see if I could do something in football. Um, dad's like, why would you do that? Like, you can't enroll in classes until the, until the fall. So, like, go play. If they release you, they release you. Then you can, you know, get started At this in the point, summer. you're still 20, right? 21. Right. 20, yeah. yeah, 21. So, I go to spring training in 05, uh, and they call me into the office the last day of spring training. And I'm literally walking down the hall going, this is it. They're going to release me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to drive home today, uh, and I'll start looking at football stuff and going to college. Uh, and my college was paid for through through my draft status. So, that was one thing about getting drafted out of mm-hmm. high school is they pay for four years of college. Oh. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice perk. Yeah, so I can walk on anywhere, and I don't need a scholarship. Like college is paid for. That's great. Um, and they tell me they're going to make me a reliever. Uh, give me this whole spiel that I think was true, but it's like you know when we drafted you, we thought you were a reliever anyway, but you had so much success in two and three as a starter that we wanted to kind of see how long you could go. Mm-hmm. So they make me a reliever. I go back to low A, um, and like the second week of the season, I start closing for the low A team. So I'm closing, having a great year. A couple of guys go up that I thought I should have gone up ahead of, but I didn't. And then August 1st, they send me to double A. And I'm in double A. My second night in double A, the closer blows out his elbow. So I start closing for the double A team. We play in the playoffs against Akron. Driving back, Tony Beasley, who's the third base coach for the Rangers now, was my manager. And he taps me on the shoulder and he says, hey, we've told a couple of guys you're going to triple A. One guy doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Um if they want one more arm, will you go? I'm, heck yeah, I'll go. 
Why wouldn't you? 21 years. Well, that was my point. The guy that didn't want to go, his wife had had a baby like a month earlier. Mm. He just saw it as like, all right, I'm, it's another week. I'm going to go home. You know, so. So I went to AAA, pitched in a five-game series. We lost all three of them, but I pitched game one through an inning and two-thirds uh, and pitched game three through another inning and threw really well. Mm-hmm. But we got swept. Um, at the end of that day, I go, I'm in Indianapolis, and I go into the lunchroom in Indianapolis, and they've catered Outback, which was like, it might as well have been Ruth Chris. Yes. For a minor league baseball player, like, I've got a filet. I've got an Alice Springs chicken. There wasn't that there. Cheese fries. I've got the bread. I've got broccoli. Like, I've got all this stuff here. And I'm like, getting ready to cut into it. And the manager walks in, shakes everybody's hand, tells them great, great year. Walks out. I sit down. I've got my knife and my fork in my hand. I'm literally, like, cutting into the steak. And he whistles at me and waves me outside. Did you bring the plate? So No, (laughs) I left it there. I was a nervous wreck, by the way. Um, He just whistled just like. Yeah, I was like, hey. (laughs) You know, and oh, like got, okay. got my attention <laughs> like, and like waved me out. Okay. And he was standing against this white uh, cinder block wall. And he sticks his hand out and says, congratulations, you're going to the big leagues. And he turns and walks off. Doesn't say anything else. Uh, I'm like, um, what do you say? Like what? So I turn and look the other way. And then Brian Graham, our farm director, and Jeff Bannister, our field coordinator at the time, they've been smiling, mm-hmm. they come over, hug me and whatnot. And, We'd had a rain delay, so it's like one o'clock in the morning in, in Indianapolis, two o'clock in the morning here. Cheat your steak? What's that? Cheat the steak. Never went back to it. Oh. So I go into the into the clubhouse and I grab my phone out of my pocket and I walk down to the dugout and I'm starting to call my parents. And now I'm getting emotional. It's like I can't. Like if my dad answers the phone or my mom answers the phone, what I'm gonna do. So I yeah. called my brother, who's a sophomore in high school, junior in high school at the time. Um and he answers the phone. He's like, hey, you know, you coming home tomorrow? We listened on the radio because you could, like, stream it yeah. through the internet and whatnot. Um, I said, no, I'm going to go to Pittsburgh and see Zach, who was one of my best friends in the minor leagues. He had gotten called up in June or July. He's like, oh, okay, you're going to go hang out for a little while? Or I said, I'm going to go to Pittsburgh. And he goes, oh, you're going to go Zach. see Zach? I said, no, um, I'm going to go play. You know, I still get goosebumps. Yeah. Just replaying that in my mind. And he's got gets all excited and I was like Chris you got to go tell mom and dad like I'll lose it and he goes in and like I said it's two o'clock in the morning he's standing over my mom with his phone to his ear it's like hey you it's gotta awesome. wake up and I hear my mom like Christopher Caps you tell me right now what's wrong <laughs> it's like wake up dad you yeah. know so uh it was a pretty cool moment that's awesome. I mean, yeah that's awesome that's, that's cool, cool. Yeah. Alec I gotta ask a quick question transition yes. Do you know what the best performing real estate asset class has been in the last 28 years? I do not. It's self-storage. Is it? Self-storage. Last 28 years. Last 28 years outperformed all other major asset classes, apartments, multifamily, or apartments, industrial, retail, office. It's been an incredible asset class. Hey, shouts out to Reliant. <sighs> One of our great sponsors here, Alec, Reliant Real Estate Management. Yes, Anybody listening who wants to have access to Reliance most recent fund, Reliance Self Storage Fund 4, where you have access to investing in self storage passively with one of the top 20 self storage operators in the country. You can do that. Reach out to reliant mgmt.com. We'll get you all the information you need. Alec, I know you're going to do it. Yes, sir. I'm already in there. Maybe Caps will too. Yeah. All right, Matt, you're now a major leader. What's your first contract? How much? How does it work? I, w- I was up for two weeks. I remember the first two-week paycheck was like just under $15,000. And 
that allowed me to not get a job in the off season. So I was able to train a little more. Went to spring training and, and ended up making the team out of spring training and never went down okay. after that. And that was a seven-year run, right, at that point? A little over seven years. Uh, I got hurt. I hurt my shoulder in 2012 with Minnesota and uh, ended up having it fixed in 13 with Cleveland. Didn't pitch for Cleveland really at all. Uh, Re-injured myself in 14 trying to get back with them. Mm -hmm. And then uh, signed with Atlanta. Wasn't healthy, wasn't ready. Went to uh, Puerto Rico and played a couple months of winter ball. And then that spun into an opportunity with the Diamondbacks. And I finished my last year in 16 with Arizona. So... As a pitcher, though, I, what's the life cycle of a pitcher in that majors, typically? Like, what's, so, what's an average guy? How long do they last? So, I heard the other day, uh, the average major league career is less than two years. Mm. Oh, that's less than the NFL, right? Yeah. Average major league, right? I thought NFL was I mean, I feel, like, I feel like I, it used to be, I was like two years or less. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like, I really feel like it's like a year or less now. Like, oh, wow. Just because of how young the league is, like. They don't, you see a lot of teams, like a lot of new faces, yeah. like every week almost in a sense. But that stat factors in, I mean, how many guys come up and get a cup of coffee? Yeah. The They're there for the two weeks that you were, but they never get called never back up. Back. Okay. Yeah. So, but still a short stint. And I mean, you had an incredible career from that standpoint, mm -hmm. seven yep. years. Talk to me about, so first contract, when you sign out of spring training, what's that look like dollars and cents wise? Because I assume for you, that's life-changing at that it, point. It was. It was. So my, my first two-week paycheck was just under 15 grand. At the time, 05 and 06, the minor league or the major league minimum was 289,000. Okay. And then going into 07, I think it jumped up to like 325 or something like that. Um, and, and then my before the 08 season, I signed a two-year contract uh, with the Pirates for three, three million. Was maybe? that the that was your first big boy contract? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let, let's skip to that because that, that's the fun part, right? So at that point, financially, are you just grinding to survive? Because, I mean, your league minimum is two, three hundred grand. That's pretty good, mm -hmm. but it depends what you were spending. Yeah. I mean, so, that, so that's this, the burn is what, what gets you. Yeah. And, and, and it's not what you always think it is. Like, mm -hmm. I, I never bought a Lamborghini, I never bought a Ferrari. I, exactly. I, I didn't yeah. buy like really nice cars. You didn't until, buy no RC cars? No. I did. You did? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I, when I made the All-Star game, um, I spoiled my, I also got a little bonus that I used to, to buy it, but I bought mm -hmm. a Mercedes. Okay. Um, AMG, the, what is it, S63. Mm -hmm. It's a nice so, car. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, but it, it, it's the little things that add up, you know, so it's the, the travel, you know, and, and a lot of it. Off-season? Both. Okay. So, w when I met my wife, Part of the deal was she was working here in Atlanta, and it's like, look, it, what are we going to prioritize? We're going to prioritize our finances and and my career. We're going to prioritize our life and our marriage. And and you know, I kind of had the, for me, my personality, and for her, if if our marriage is going to last, you have to be with me. Mm -hmm. You have to go with me. So she quit her job and she came with me, and she traveled with me a lot. So she's been Jen's been to about every city in the big leagues. Wow, uh, I think Detroit. Seattle and Toronto. <coughs> You're paying for that out of pocket. The team's not. Yep. yep. She's so not I'm, flying on the I'm team I'm flying plane. her to and from. She can stay in the hotel with us, so I don't have to pay for a hotel room. But, you know, you're you're now paying for dinner. But that's 70 games a year, Eight, right? 81. 81 yep. games a year that she's coming on mm -hmm. an airplane ticket. Yep. Hey. Yeah, so there's a lot of that travel. Committed. And, and that's—I wouldn't change that if I could. 
Um, we had a lot of great times. And then when we, we started having kids, some of that had to slow down. And we knew there was a shorter runway with that. You can't sure. do that yeah. kind of travel when you yeah. have kids. So so we enjoyed that and and, and had fun with, with her being with me a lot of places. But there's just a lot of a lot of built-in expenses of being a major league player. You've got clubhouse dues that are uh, back then you're looking probably 1500 bucks a month at home. Mm-hmm. And then once you're a guy that's not making the minimum, you're kind of looked at to take care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the road, it was a um, hundred to 150 bucks a day that I'm paying the clubhouse guys in the clubhouse. So if you're tips, a, yeah, yeah. Dues and then tips on top. If anybody does anything special for you, yeah. you know, you tip them on top of that. Um, hmm. I never thought about that. Yeah. I mean, you, your agent, 5% off the top. Sure. So whatever he negotiates for you goes to him. That's 5%? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. For three, baseball? Three to five, yeah. Yeah. Depends on the agency. Yeah. Cool. I always heard three. Three? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that was ours. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody I ever talked to, they was always offering 3% mm-hmm. and below, well. Yeah. Did, three, did you three. think about it, Matt, of like, hey, you know, we're going to budget. I guess two things. What was your perspective long-term? Were you thinking like, hey, I'm going to make enough money to build enough passive income where I can live forever? Was it just kind of year by year? Because some guys really were budget conscious, right? Where, you know, they're like, look, I didn't know if I was coming back the next year. Yeah. And then, you know, the NFL guys, obviously their contracts aren't guaranteed, right? Yeah. So a lot I of did, it was... I didn't think, um, I didn't think 10 years, 15, 20 years, anything like that. When I was playing, it was it was looking at your service time to max out, get to 10 years to max out your pension, and then you're shortening that period. So now I can, I can start drawing my pension at 45. Okay. At a pretty good discount. What, what uh, What's yeah. MLB pension-ish? Uh, if you've got 10 years of service, right now I think it's a, like 280 a year. That's not, not bad. Pretty good pension. Yeah. Um, so I'll get 72% of it. Okay. Gotcha. When when I get to that age, if I take it at forty five, I, I it's a pretty. I don't want to take it at forty five. Sure, it's a lesser um, number, right? Yep. A, and the the math there's an algorithm that they a chart that they send out like the sweet spots fifty seven, mm-hmm. fifty mm-hmm. whatever it is. But to max it out, you wait till you're sixty two, and then you get that full pension. But you have to live to be ninety six, I think, to break even. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I give it a couple of years, and I'll start looking at when I want to start taking it, whatever that number is, 55, 56, 58, whatever it is, um, start pulling it. But mm-hmm. I, the investment side of it, I hired a financial advisor that was awesome. Uh, he did really good for me um, in the market and things like that. We bought a lot of bonds. We were very conservative. Um, I bought a lot of municipal bonds. So you're looking at two and a half to three and a half percent that that I'd bring in. Um, Tax-free. Yep. Ask about uh, ask about real estate a couple of times and wish I had pushed the envelope. Knowing what I know now, I wish I had really pushed the envelope on real estate. What um, type of real estate? Because I didn't know. I mean, my dad was an appraiser, so really like single family is all I knew. It was already in your blood already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So single family uh, is all I knew. Uh, buy a couple of rental houses, and when when the market crashed oh eight oh nine, I had bought my first house kind of at the peak. So now I'm looking at my value and. and talking to my financial guy about it. And he's like, no, no, real estate. You, you don't want it in real estate. Yeah. Like, yeah, you want to go over here. And I trusted him and I followed, yeah. I followed him at the time. And, and I was more concerned about getting people out. Um, but what I've realized later on in life is you kind of, you've got to follow the money. Follow the money. Where's the money going? So if, if, 
if a financial guy advises you away from something that they don't control, they can't collect a fee on mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. um, I wasn't smart enough to pick up on that when I was in my my twenties. Yeah, you need to was, say that again, so that, yeah, so the just, listeners just, can hear that. You just got to follow the money. If That's a it. financial no, what you say? If a financial advisor, what if he there? They try to guide you away from something. Not, not if they don't control the investment, they don't charge a fee. They can't charge a fee. Yeah. So most most financial advisors is an AUM fee, right? Assets under management, they can charge their one, two percent, mm-hmm. maybe less, depends how much money you got with them. But you know, you go to alternative investments like a reliant, right? Yeah. If, if they're not, it's called selling away, right? If those dollars go outside their purview, they're not mm-hmm. charging that fee on it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, look, incentives drive behaviors. Sure. Right. And so um, and, it, and it's also an expertise thing, right? Where mm-hmm. some of the alternative assets, real estate, um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in that world that's outside the traditional equities markets yep. um, that a lot of advisors don't know or don't understand. And so mm-hmm. it's always like, eh, yep. not really sure. So in your world, how'd you find your advisor? How'd you get to him or is it him or her? Or? Yeah, so I, I'm on what, my third uh, now? Uh, just relationships. So that's, that's a great segue if you want to take that into the next chapter of my life after I retired. Um, just leveraging relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I do some broadcasting for the Pirates now. Uh, and somebody asked me the other day how that came about. And it's it's a really cool story. On the caravan, I used to sign up to go on the caravans all the time. Yeah. Wait, what's, like, what's a caravan? So it's where they, you, they fly you into Pittsburgh. Uh, and you do a fan fest in Pittsburgh, but then they put you on a bus and like three or four players and a couple of staff members, they drive yeah. into the outskirts of the city. Just and, to bring awareness to the Pirates? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. We would go to malls. We would sign autographs. We would uh, go to schools. We would do things at, at elementary schools, middle schools, high yeah. schools, and like kind of like pep rallies. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, Pirates players are here. Well, the director of broadcasting, I didn't know who he was at the time, um, but it, he was on my bus and I was just friendly to him. Just talked and was nice and... Um, when he called me and asked me if I'd be interested in the broadcasting thing, I asked him that question, like, why me? Why are you thinking about me? And he mm-hmm. goes, well, I just remember when you were playing, like you told me your story. And I told him I put my brother through college um, and was telling him about that because he asked me why I signed up for so many caravans. Like, you guys pay, you guys are paying me 3500 bucks to do this. Like, that's a tuition payment that doesn't have to come, <laughs> doesn't have to come out of this bucket. Like, I'm in. He's like, money. you're paying for your brother to go to college? Um he was like, you were just cool. There wasn't an ego, easy to talk to. Yeah. And um, you never know like that. those relationships lead. Right. Mm-hmm. It took 15 years. Yep. 15 years later, he calls me and asks me if I want to try this out. And I'm like, I'd love to try it out. It's a That's microphone. Cool. I'm watching a game and I got to talk about it. I think I can do that. Yeah. That's what you're um, doing at home anyways. Yeah. So talk about relationships. You asked me about my financial guy now. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, he he passed away week before last, but uh, Jim Poole was a retired pitcher. Um, he got involved with a group, Buckhead Investment Partners, BIP Capital and BIP Wealth now, uh, and got in with them. And I developed a relationship with Jim and uh, really liked Jim. He's a trustworthy guy. And he started talking to me about some of the planning and things like that that, that he was putting together for former athletes. Uh, mm-hmm. So Jim came in and built inside of BIPs uh, or under their umbrella, he built out an athlete division. Okay. And they've done, they've done really so well. So would you us. say that you, you, you essentially kind of trusted like one of your teammates, you know, kind of guy, some, you had somebody that kind of showed you like what they were doing. Right. And you like, well, I trust that guy. Like, obviously you do your own research, you get an understanding, but as you say, 
building those relationships, having that relationship with him kind of helped, yep. you know, push you to... Relationships take the wall down. Yeah. You know, because you can relate to this and athletes that are that are watching and listening. Anytime, when I was playing, anytime somebody brought up money, yeah. there was a wall. A big that, wall. That went straight up. <laughs> uh, and, you know, to your point, if it's a teammate, you're sitting in a bullpen, you're sitting on a bus or a plane or, or anything like that, um, and you start talking about what they're doing, like that wall's not there. Yeah. You know, if you walked into the clubhouse and started talking about tax plans and yeah. 401ks and stuff like that, yes, like, people are just going to sit there and look <laughs> at you like, nope, yeah. not 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 hearing it. Um, and baseball's done a nice job the last couple of years of, of putting the resources around guys that, that wasn't there mm -hmm. as much when I was a young player. Yeah. Is for, for you career earnings-ish? Uh, you can Google it. I want to say about 18 million, something like that. And And were you chasing a number? Were you chasing, like, was your financial advisor saying, like, hey, Matt, get me to here, and we'll be good the rest of the way? No. 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 So it was, okay. So how did you think about it? Especially as you got to the tail end of your career, right? You're in your late 20s, 30s. You know there's less time ahead of you than, yep. you know, there was. Yeah. How did you think about what was happening post-game? And, and, and were you in a position where you said, hey, I don't have to work the rest of my life? I— so the, the greatest thing that I did was when I retired, I had zero debt. Mm. Um, I paid cash for my house. I paid cash for every vehicle I had. Um, I, I literally, the only debt I had was my American Express that was paid on the last day of every month. Gotcha. Uh, and we so still, your, burn, your burn rate on a monthly basis, that was a low number. I wouldn't say it was a low number. <laughs> but you just I, didn't have, he had that stress of like having all this debt out there. Yeah, you know, I wasn't paying. It yeah. wasn't compounding because I wasn't yeah. paying interest on it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I looked at what our burn was, and I looked at our nest egg, and it's like, okay, you know, this is my runway. This is my period of time that you know I literally we could live, or we can cut the burn. We can cut the burn rate down, and that runway goes this, or or we can cut the burn rate way down and that runway takes me to retirement and we're golden. And, at so, any time during that point, Matt, were you thinking, how do I take that nest egg and build passive income? Or was that a, was that a, a not a thing in your mind yet? I, I didn't understand it. I didn't, okay. I knew nothing about it. I yep. wasn't educated with it. I didn't grow up around it. I, I, I literally had no idea other than what financial guys were telling me. And the league didn't really like offer really type of that no. type of resources like that at no. the time. The right? alumni association did yeah. and does now. Yeah. Um, but no, I it never crossed my mind. Okay, how so do, it was really just hey, I got hundred bucks in the bank. I spent ten dollars a year. I got ten years. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yep. yep. And then, so was it enough to live forever? Do no. you have a, a big no? Not the way you were living. Right. Got it. So that's so that's the key lifestyle. So do I want to adjust my lifestyle? I don't. I don't think anybody wants to adjust their lifestyle. So what's I, your what's your burn rate today? Ish. Um. Mm. Mine's just under thirty. I got the, it's the houses that are expensive. Yeah, I'm 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 under thirty that. a year, thirty a month. Oh, that's what to say. A year, it's <laughs> gas. Yeah. If I if I include like insurance and taxes and all that, I'm probably close to that. Yeah. Alex, do you know yours? Twenty five. Yeah. So how I've always thought of it too is like, look, I just got to get that number passively, mm -hmm. and the rest, you know, if I lose. The job blows up, real estate market destroyed. Well, most of my investment income will go away at that point. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll probably be in trouble. But that that was kind of always my thought is like, just got to cover my month and done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens after that, great. 
But yeah. if, if I can cover my monthly nut, and, and look, we can adjust lifestyle if we have to. Yeah. Alec doesn't have to drive a giant truck with a train horn. Yeah. But he does. Yeah. I'll sell that sucker in the heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> if you need to. But, but I think that's always the mindset piece is like a lot of guys, when you ask that question, not, not just professional athletes, yeah. but guys in my business too, like, what's your burn? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, maybe you should. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to build a plan, you got to start with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's always been, well, what's my burn rate? And and like you, I want to live well too. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't have a Lamborghini either and we're not flying around on private jets, but, you know, we all have worked hard for whatever we're doing. Sure. And I want to live well too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, you know, that, that, that mindset shift. And for you, how did you get to the idea of, okay, I can use my nest egg to go start creating income streams? It took me a little while because I was— Post-retirement or during this—or was this all after you, you stopped no, playing? No, post-retirement. Okay. Yeah, so or no, my career didn't Post-retirement end. doesn't make sense. It's post-career. Post-career, yeah, I'm sorry. In retirement. Yeah. Pre- sorry, I'm Pre-retirement. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. My, um, my career didn't end how I wanted it to end or how I envisioned it ending. Uh, and it, I'd still be pitching today if my body would let me. And I, I tell people my body and the good Lord have a different plan, and yeah. I'm trying to figure out what that is. Uh, so what I'm doing today may not be what I end up doing five years from now. Mm-hmm. I like what I'm doing today, but I've got kind of different toes and still different Still don't know waters. what you want to do when you grow up. That's right. Me either. That's right. But but I enjoy the real estate stuff I'm doing, I enjoy. Uh, so kind of taking, I found the land that we we built the apartments on that we own. Uh, so so I, let's, let's talk about that story a little bit. Mm-hmm. So first off, where was the shift of, hey, I can take this money and go build it? Was it a mentor? Was it a book? Was there something that prompted it for you? A, a, a buddy of mine called me, Jimmy Barthmeyer, retired player also. He called me and said, hey, I want you to meet this guy. I said, okay, what's he do? Well, he's trying to raise money for some medical office buildings. And like uh, walls going up. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But I, I sat and had lunch with this guy and he was about my age, maybe a couple of years older. His name is Bo Terrell. Really liked him. And I ended up investing with him. And I got a monthly return. Uh, and started to see that. I had to see that and experience yeah. it firsthand before I really wanted to explore it. So I invested with him passively my last year playing and then my first year out. And that was your first exposure, any sort of alternatives other than traditional equities? Correct. Yep. Your, your financial advisor, he's buying bonds, traditional equities, mutual yep. fund, et cetera. Okay. Yep. Correct. Other than my personal house. Yep. Um, so got into that and after I retired, they came to me with another one. There was a package of four buildings and uh, one of them was in Stockbridge, and I'm down in Stockbridge, mm-hmm. and literally on my hands and knees looking at these HVAC units. <laughs> um, I climb up, I'm looking at the it's roof. the appraisal and, coming out of yeah, you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I walk out Channel into the parking lot, and I see, I see Bo and his partner, and they're they're like, what are you doing down here? I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking. I, I don't. I'm looking at it. Why like, are you not looking? And they start laughing. They're like, we have 50-something investors, and you're the only one that'll see these assets. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. I was like, well— I mean, I feel like I know you guys, but like, kind of wanted to make sure they were real before yeah. I wrote a check. And uh, you'd Andrew, be shocked, Matt, how many people do almost zero due diligence yep. and write checks. It's so, crazy. So Bo's zero. partner Andrew asked me, he's like, "Are you interested in this stuff?" And I was like, "I, I could be." And he actually offered me to. He offered it up for me to come shadow him for a couple of weeks. So I went down to their office Monday to Friday for two weeks, and then decided to go get my real estate license. I was like, I, I think I could enjoy this. I think I could. And the thought process at that point was go be a real estate broker? Yeah, get in and, and I could lease. I mean, I still have my real estate license, so I can I can do a lot of different things with it. 
but they they'll lease deals. They'll also try to find um, they'll find tenants and put them into deals. But they they try to find depressed assets, sure. either uh, assets that need construction revitalization or their uh, their rent is down. Uh, lease percentages down and they'll try to lease it up and then they'll sell it, they'll flip it. Mm-hmm. So they'll create the value. So I went and got my license, hung it with them for a while, uh, ended up buying my own building and I'll sell um, with a buddy of mine. Medical office? Medical office building, small medical office building, five tenants, uh, but Northside Hospital was the anchor tenant. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, it had two vacancies when we bought it and we we filled up one vacancy and couldn't wait to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Managing doctors... Yeah. was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And I was doing it myself. Blaine and I were. Uh, so we got out of that. So wait, let me ask you a question on that just specifics wise. Do you remember the numbers in the deal-ish? Uh, I remember our investors saw close to a 30% return. In oh, so you months. brought guys in on that deal. Okay. Purchase price-ish? Two and a half. Okay. So you buy it two and a half. Do you remember cap rate when you bought it? I don't. Okay. Yeah. But it was, how did you know how to underwrite the deal? Like, oh, and Andrew. Okay. They, they held our hands through the whole thing. I got you. So you were bringing them, hey, I'm looking at this medical office building. Walk me through what the numbers should look like. Yep. Got it. And then you went out and raised capital for it. Yep. How many investors? Just friends and family type uh, of thing? Probably 10. Okay. Just yep. buddies. Yep. People who trust you. A couple of former teammates, to your point. Like, hey, let's go grab lunch. Let me tell you what I'm doing. Like, hey, listen. Trying to buy Wait, this building. Wait, in the wall? Wall? No wall. What happens when the teammate well, calls? <clears throat> I think it kind of depends on who the teammate is, too. I think there's there's a wall that comes up just because you're talking about that number and instantly you just kind of like, hey, dude, I've I'm I've been around you a million times. Like, I see how you are. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it kind of you have that, but you're also, the most business savvy. Yeah, What's yeah. that wall do when I look at you and I say, here's the check I'm writing? Exactly. Yeah, that makes a difference. Exactly. Now he's like, no, I can show you the proof. Like, yeah. hey, yeah. I'm not I'm asking doing. for just your money. No, exactly. I'm putting mine in it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, that makes, I'm in it as makes well. A difference. So that that was your first. I mean, that's a big step. Mm-hmm. Like go from my first two passive investments to I'm buying my own deal in an asset class that I've never done anything in, yeah. and I'm bringing in other people's money, which is a huge responsibility. I mean, I can mm-hmm. speak to that from us. We have two thousand yeah. investors. Yeah. You're beholden, right? Mm-hmm. And and these are your boys. Like especially yeah. the first couple, you don't want to screw up because they're your boy. Like yeah. they trusted you. They don't know what right. they're investing in. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, kudos to you just to take the first step. I, I'm impressed that that was the first. It was like, hey, I did these two. Let's go buy that building. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Yeah. I mean, yeah, other than the doctors are paying the ass, you sold it, put money on it. <laughs> yeah. Investors uh, all walked the, away with the cash. The doctors were great. They Just managing doctors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the doctors are, are great at what they do. Okay. Um, they be all over the place, though. They like. It's, for instance, we were on vacation and I got a call from one of the doctors. Uh, there's snakes on our doorstep. You got to send somebody out here. So I call my maintenance guy and he goes down. He's there within 45 minutes of the phone call. I'm just telling you that if someone called me and said, Chris, you got to go get the snakes off the doorstep, I'd be like, dude, just bring the building down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to see the snakes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about them. Just set the building on fire yeah. and we'll see what happens. I don't like snakes either. Yeah, I'm not. But fine. our maintenance guy, I called him. I was like, how do you feel about snakes? He's like, what kind? I was like, I have no idea. He goes, all right, I'll check it out. So he was he was a rock star. He was within 45 minutes of getting that call. He was on their doorstep. He's like, where are they? It's like, I don't know. Called the office manager. The office manager was like, oh, that was yesterday. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Like, I got a frantic call 45 minutes ago. Like, the world is ending <laughs> because there's two snakes on the doorstep. And they're like, oh, that was yesterday. So I called the 
the dock back and it's like the dock was like, yeah, it's just I think you should put some traps out or something. Right. So it doesn't Thanks, happen again. I'm like, appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so that was kind of the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like we need to sell this, you know. We were we knew we'd make a little bit of money. Um, so it had a little bit of capital uh, given back to me. Made a little bit of money. Found some land in Huntsville and bought it. Well, we put it under contract and then kind of went through. I really on our own we learned the whole. Uh, entitlement process, mm -hmm. going through that, but again, developing relationships. Mm -hmm. So, so wait, you're you're glossing over to to do a ground up development to buy a piece of dirt, get it entitled to build a property is not easy, All right? So, what first steps? You a broker approaches you with a piece of dirt? No, nope. you guys found it. No, nope. my brother in law called me said, "Hey, I, I hear there might be twenty acres." Uh, over here in Huntsville. I was okay. like, okay, what do they want for it? And now you're a real estate tycoon. Yep. You just flipped a mobile medical office building. Right. You're ready. That's right. I'm Confident. a pro. I know. Yeah. I, knew, I know everything about this. I got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> so uh, I said, you know, what are you going to build on it? And my brother-in-law is a metal fab guy, and he's a really smart guy. He got into banking and then took over his family business. But um, he goes, I don't know. It's like, all right. He goes, I just know it's great buy. Like, all right. So I drove over to Huntsville and I looked at it mm -hmm. and it's a soybean field. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm not the smartest person in this room. I got lucky. Uh, we got lucky. You might be the smartest person in this a room. A couple of times. Um, that, I'll argue with you on that. But anyway, <laughs> it's neither here nor there, I guess. So we end up putting the, we end up tying up the dirt. I set up a meeting with the city manager. And wait, wait, wait. You tied up the dirt with the plan of what? Uh, figuring out what we could do with it. All right, so I'm just going to control it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep, so we tied it up. Uh, Let me get the asset first. Yep, we tied it up. Uh, got a pretty good tail on it. Six months of, of due diligence we got on it. Okay. Went and introduced ourselves to the city. Uh, found out what the needs were in the city. Um, okay, they want multifamily. Okay, we need, it, we need to get it entitled for multifamily. It's farmland. Sure. Okay, this is what that process is like. Uh, we're hungry for it. We can expedite X, Y, and Z, you know. The Did city's it. telling you this because they yep. want the building yep. and they want the tax base. Yep, that's right. So we uh, we got all the in, got through all the entitlement stuff uh, inside of six months. No one's holding your hand? Uh, not not yet. I mean, who's doing like site plan, architect, that all that stuff? You're just kind of figuring it out as we you go? We haven't got there yet. Oh, okay. So we were just going to flip the dirt. Okay. Started Get it calling, entitled, yep. flip it. Started calling a couple of uh, apartment developers. We had a group out of Nashville and a group out of Charlotte. Group out of Charlotte was going to buy it. Uh, their first offer was fifteen thousand a door. We got it entitled three hundred and sixty units at eighteen hundred a door. Mm. We we're going to make some money and be real happy. Go about our way. That's over well, this 10X. was uh, what's that? It was ten x. Mm -hmm. This was uh, January of twenty. Oh, so fast forward a couple of weeks. Uh, the group out of Charlotte they make their offer. We're ecstatic because because we think we can get them to twenty. Wait, I have one more question before you get there. Whose money's in this deal? Right now, it's just me and one partner, Blaine Boyer. So you guys are gonna make some. We're money. gonna make some money. We're gonna be real happy. Yeah. Um, all we've done is down payment, um, right. or not down payment, but um, due diligence. earnest money. Yeah, earnest and, money uh, and some due diligence costs and whatnot. It's like minimal investment. Mm -hmm. So the group out of Charlotte. Uh, they haven't seen the land in person. So their principal has to, I guess, part of their code or whatever, um, the principal has to come down and see it. I'm going to fudge the days on it, but let's say we're supposed to meet them on Tuesday. Friday, the guy calls me that I've been going back and forth with. 
he goes, hey, um, our principal's asthmatic, and, um, you know, the airlines just shut down this the air travel thing. because mm-hmm. of this COVID thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, we're still very interested, but let's give it two or three weeks. Let all this stuff blow, over. blow over. Yeah, let it blow over, and then we'll come back. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And and we thought, like, all right, give it a couple of weeks, let it blow over. You know, as you know, it didn't blow over. Uh, so by the grace of God, going back to relationships, uh, a, a kid that um, that I had helped mentor and helped him get into college and pitch, uh, his dad is is a real estate developer. So we uh, we met for breakfast or lunch or something now, like that. Now, were you in trouble at that point? Were you? We were going to walk away from it. We had our we had some sunk costs that we were just going to walk You're away. Just going to eat it because mm-hmm. you you didn't have an option at this point. We we don't know how to execute. And and you're coming up on that six months where the seller's saying, hey, close on this thing, pooper, get off the pot. He's, yeah. he's yes, he's a um, he's a pretty shrewd fella. Yeah. So it was. Um, no, he knew. I, he knew. He's, he's like, I've got three backup offers, right. which yeah. maybe he did. I don't know. Um, so by the grace of God, uh, Matt calls me and wants to have breakfast or lunch. I don't remember. Did he know you had the dirt? Oh, so you weren't just, out he, seeking. He, no, he just wanted to get together. This was the grace of God. Um, he just wanted to get together, like, hear what you're doing. He knew that I'd been doing the medical office mm-hmm. stuff and whatnot. And I was telling him about the dirt. He's like, why Huntsville? So I started telling him about all the jobs coming to Huntsville and Facebook's there and this big data center. and like Rocket. Yeah. Rockets. I mean, there's like uh, the FBI is moving down their, their cybersecurity headquarters. It's like 6,000 jobs, mm-hmm. you know, and like all the people that's going to bring down. And he goes... Well, why don't we do it together? And I look at him and I said, do you build apartments? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yeah, we just delivered some in Norcross. We got one, some in Charleston. We got some in, um, I think, Gainesville. Uh, he goes, when I found out you were in real estate, I, yeah. I always thought it'd be cool to do something together. So he got his partner tied into it and we partnered up and they're the guys that execute. They're the guys that know what they're doing. And we got lucky. Hey, Is it built? Oh yeah, full. We uh, we're not full. We're just under ninety percent occupied. It's uh, basically full. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So want to get over ninety five. We want to stay over ninety five. Is this is this buy hold strategy refinance get money out hold so, it forever or what do you think? So I mentioned we got lucky. I uh, through BIP I invested in Tropical Smoothies like when they went corporate from family owned to corporate. Uh, I invested in that and had a pretty big capital gains come through. Okay. Uh, so when we cashed out of that. I don't know. I think it was close to a 4X. It was a really nice, wow. really nice pop for us. Um, about the same time that I got that, I learned that our land in Huntsville is in an opportunity zone. Mm. So, so for those of you guys who don't know what opportunity zone is, essentially it's an IRS program that they were trying to incentivize people to develop in underserved areas. Mm-hmm. Now, I would argue that how they drew the map it's probably not all underserved areas, but what, what they've did, created is a huge tax incentive. So what the federal government did with Opportunity Zones is they allowed the local municipalities to draw the maps. Mm. So Huntsville saw the areas that they wanted growth, said, and they drew it that way to bring in private capital to grow the city how they, according to their vision. Mm-hmm. And, and what it's done is for guys like Matt who have big capital gains— the Opportunity Zone essentially allows them to roll those monies in with very minimal or zero taxable event. Mm-hmm. And so there's been huge pushes of capital into OZ funds. Yep. And I think they launched in 18, maybe. Does that sound right? It does. It, it's We're a few years into a 10-year program, so the benefit has decreased for each year. But 
still a huge push. Yeah. And that's incredibly lucky for you because yep. if you guys were going out to raise capital, you're going to have a ton of people who are like, hey, yep. I got I got cap gains. I got to put it somewhere. Yep. Um, so you guys brought in outside equity for that. That wasn't we just did. you and your partner. Right, right. Okay. Got yep. it. Yeah, because that's a big boy project. Yep. I mean, that's a... We built, it was a $62 million budget. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And debt on that-ish? Uh, I should know this. I want to say it was 70%. We yeah, on. you were still in the, the heydays of lending. Right now, not yeah. not so juicy. Okay, mm-hmm. so you guys had to come up with, you know, call it 18 million bucks, mm-hmm. 18, 20 million bucks yep. on the on the raise side. Yep. And did you do that? Or did you, or did your partners have an investor network that they... It was a, it, both. Okay. Yeah. So I brought in some friends and family. I've got a handful of baseball buddies and teammates that mm-hmm. are in it as well. Um, and then we had we have one big equity partner that brought in multiple, multiple, multiple millions. But um, uh, there's probably there's probably ten or twelve. Okay. Different investors. Yep. Got it. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, congrats. So thank you. So you guys will hold for, take advantage of the opportunity zone yeah. program. Yeah. So you got another six seven years ish. I think thirty. Yeah. Oh. So seven years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Twenty yeah. thirty is when we got to. Hold do something with it. So did that shift your mindset to, hey, I can be a real estate guy? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it did. So it's just where do I bring value on the real estate side? Mm-hmm. You know, so I still don't. There's so many complexities to doing stuff like this. Like, I, I don't want to say I don't have the mental capacity to do it, but I, I, I'm still pretty wet behind the ears. Uh, and I've surrounded myself with people two that, for are, two. that are experts. You're batting 100% so. right now. Sounds pretty good. Well, if I'm playing baseball, that's great. <laughs> you know, but uh, two for three in the business world can yeah. be life altering. Two for yeah. three in the baseball world, you're going to the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, baby. Yeah. So, so how do you think about that now? So you're 40. Just turned 40. Okay, so you're 40. Um, you know, you got another four years. How do you think about purpose? What you're going to do moving forward? Mm-hmm. I guess on the business side. And then I'd love Alec. He, Matt does a. Uh, some pretty cool stuff for his son and travel baseball that we mm-hmm. should probably get into as well. But yeah. how do you think about the business purpose and, and financial? Like, how do you think about what does this look like moving forward? Um, I want to hustle for 15 years. Okay. I want to hustle, do whatever I can to make as much money as I can in the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to have to hustle at 60, Yeah, I guess. Like, I, what I did learn about myself when I retired from playing um, is I don't sit very well. Yeah. Me either. So I I need some kind of purpose outside the home. I think most men are wired. Yeah, you, that's how you are to, wired. Yeah, yeah, to have to have some kind of purpose outside the home. Mm-hmm. I'm just happier when I have a reason for getting up and getting out of the house. Um, but I don't want to grind. Like what I'm doing now is I'm grinding. Um, I, I I have three different jobs, four different jobs if you if you count the baseball stuff. But I do uh, I do some business development for a construction company. I'm part of the development team with. What we built in Huntsville, we own another 100 acres over there. We own a 100-unit a deal that we're trying to work on in Roswell, here where we live. Mm-hmm. Where? Um, where in Roswell? Hill Street and Highway 9, right by City Hall. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so. It's, so uh, you're putting apartments over there, you say? Being, it'll be 89 apartments, six townhomes, and about 80,000 square feet of commercial space. Yeah. It'll be good. Once we get it going, it'll be good. Yeah, let me know where I can fit in. Okay. I'd love to. I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, it'll be a great project. Uh, once we get it going, the the political landscape in Roswell has been tough to navigate, but we're in a good spot right now, I think, knocking on wood. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see if we can get that going. Uh, Just a quick and aside, and editors can take this out. Do you talk with Jim Van Epps? 
Yeah, I know okay. Jim really well. Okay. So Jim's in Huntsville with us. He okay. was also in the medical office building with me. Okay. He's like the godfather of Roswell. Mm-hmm. Just want to make sure. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure you knew him, but yeah, just in case. Yeah, get in over there. So, and then I started a travel baseball organization. Well, I do the color commentating for the Pirates. Yeah. So that's, that's three jobs. Business development for a construction group, CA South, the development stuff, and then um, color commentating for Pittsburgh. So in the summertime, like I'm running everywhere. Mm-hmm. In the in the fall and winter, baseball is not going on. I've got a little bit of free time. Uh, and then I started a travel baseball team to just try and have some oversight with what my son does. True. Uh, we went to the city of Roswell last year and asked them if we could bring three teams over and mm-hmm. partner with the city. And they said, yeah, we'd love to do that, but you got to have a tryout. Mm-hmm. So I had three teams that I was bringing. Um Two teams ended up not staying with us. So I had just my son's team that ended up staying with us. And mm-hmm. we had to have a tryout. We had 360 kids show up. <sighs> so we have 11 teams, <laughs> which is, um, thank God I've got some good people around me because yeah. I'm not the most organized yeah, person yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that can kind of handle a lot of that stuff. I'm coaching my uh, my son's football team like that. And to your point, is trying to, <clears throat> I might actually try to buy this league that's already going. Mm-hmm. And like you said, kind of had that host to try out because it's a great sport. Like baseball, I played it growing up as well. And even when I talked to uh, Brian at one time, well, we played golf, where he was talking about how the baseball thing, he was like, man, this is like one of the greatest sports for kids not to be able to go and play. I'm like, I agree. He's like, at that younger age, you know, it's slow for him and yep. all that stuff like that. But two, being around the right people, being coached by some of the the right people is a big, big part it's, of it. Too. It's perspective too, and, yeah. and you you see this, I'm sure. But like with what we've done, our perspective is so much different. Oh yeah. Like I have zero expectation of my son playing in the big leagues. I know how hard it is. It's hard. You as... probably have zero expectation of your son playing in college or the NFL. Like, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, the reality is, the truth is, if they're gonna go. It's the work they're going to put in. Exactly right. Not the work I'm putting in for them or you're putting in for them. Exactly right. They have to want it. So. Like you literally got to want it. I mean, it's just with anything else you do in life, not even necessarily just sports. Like if it's, you know, if it's important to you, make time for it, you Mm -hmm. know, and and get it done at the end of the day. And that's, you know, kind of all you can try to do for your kid is, you know, show them if you work hard and you really love this, yeah, you can go. And and make that or make it to the big leagues or whatever. Yep. Yeah. But I definitely They gotta want that. it. Yeah, you gotta what, want what it. What are what are you gonna do when nobody else is watching? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta like, get the God given piece first, but there's a lot of kids with talent. Yeah. And the, the difference is gonna be who's gonna put the work in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sayings in baseball was hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah, that's yeah, not a bad one either. My one of my buddies' sons played at TCU stud just a stud and he got a girlfriend mm-hmm. his freshman year and he was batting cleanup at TCU as a freshman like he just transferred <laughs> some other things took priority and sure. you know what what his dad was saying to him was like look man there's a kid in the Dominican Republic right now yep. who is mashing yep. 24 hours a day they're doing this, this all day only shot yep. he's like and look he's like you, you can walk away he's like do you have a shot hell yeah you do but that's gonna that's a you decision. Mm-hmm. Like and that's that's the piece that I think and, and going back to the finance and, and business side of it, you know, we talk to a lot of guys where Alec has always asks the question, like, is there time in your day to get business savvy? And you know, most of the guys, Alec, I think you agree, say 
Hell yeah, you can make yeah. time for anything. Mm-hmm. And and for the financial wellness and, and savviness while guys are in the league and even after, you gotta want it. Yeah. It's not gonna magically happen. Yeah. And that's the piece that I think it's, most people miss. It's hard when you're playing though, because you're so focused on oh, yeah. on doing your job. You know, and then by the time I by the time if I if I'm putting the work in that I need to put in to be successful on the field, by the time I get home or get to the hotel, I'm mentally and physically drained. Hmm. Um, you got an off season too. You do have an off season, and that's a great point. Uh, and that's probably the biggest thing I would change is I would have spent more time getting to know my financial plan. Mm-hmm. I guess in the off season, during the season, I don't want to talk about it. But mm-hmm. we, I met with my uh, financial. That's the same guy. thing you say, Alec. Right? It like, is, during the season, it's that's like, like football. Yeah, mm-hmm. you focus on that one thing because I mean, you you play with the best of the best, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's somebody they looking to replace you every single time. That's right. You know, yeah. every day, right? So Yep. That's yeah. right. Fifty new guys coming in every year. <laughs> coming in, like it's a revolving door. Like yep. fifty new guys who are cheaper. Mm-hmm. Fifty new guys who That's are right. cheaper than you. So so Matt, I guess wrapping this up, what what would you tell twenty one year old you, twenty two year old you? I mean, think think of you coming out and the wisdom that you have now. And I what what I would have taken as a lesson is the networking piece you can do when you're playing. That's exactly what I was about to say. Okay. Oh, sorry. I uh, no, I, I would I <laughs> I would have focused more on the networking piece of it. Mm-hmm. And and I think it, it'd be hard to go back and do it because it's perspective, right? I'd tell myself to have have the perspective you have at 40. Well, if I'm 22, how do I have that? Um, but the, the big takeaways are like people generally want to help. Mm-hmm. So ask. Uh, and I was I, I was afraid to do that. I'm not, believe it or not, I'm naturally a shy person. I mm. kind of gained that confidence and and things like that at about seven, my junior year of high school, about 17, 18 years old, before I really started to learn how to come out of my shell. But I was painfully shy as a kid. Didn't want to ask for help with anything. Didn't want to mm-hmm. meet new people. Didn't like. Um, I think when I got into pro ball, like like new situations, I talk about Trent Jewett, the manager coming in in AAA and telling me I was going to the big leagues. I was scared to death. Like, I didn't want to have a conversation with him. He's a AAA manager. I've mm-hmm. been in rookie ball and A ball mm-hmm. my whole life to this point. Like, I was intimidated. No, it doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or um, the president of the United States or the uh, anybody. You're, you're a person. Yep. We're just people. Yep. Um, having that perspective and kind of keeping that in check. Like, people are just people. And... I would have spent more time trying to pick the brains of people that were successful outside of my realm. Mm-hmm. So the the people that are successful now that I'm <coughs> around the the Mac Reese's, the Jim Myers, uh, the Bo Terrells, uh, the, the, and the medical office and the development stuff, like their story. And, and now at this stage of my life, I'm I'm genuinely interested in people's story. Like I'm interested in your story. You're an athlete. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can relate to your story a lot. I'm curious about it, but the nuts and bolts of athletics, like I know why you were successful. Yeah. You probably outworked most people. Yeah. You know, I, I was successful because I had talent and I outworked most people. Mm-hmm. How are you successful? Why were you successful? Um, it's the same story. I would argue it'd be the same, it's the same story. Yeah. The same way. Yeah. But, it's, but how do you work hard? Like I, maybe that's what I would ask is uh, the accountant, like how do you work hard at accounting? The real estate guy. How do you work hard at real estate? So, baseball's cut and dry. Football's cut and dry. Like, get in the weight room, run more, run harder, swing more, throw more, uh, hit more, stuff like that. How do you work hard at real estate? 
put in those hours. I mean, look, I, I don't think it's any different. You talk about asking for help, right? There are people who've already done it. Yeah. And, that's and I'm a true. huge believer in don't recreate the wheel. Copy yeah. it. Yeah. The smartest guys on the planet are the guys who look at somebody doing something. They're like, I can do that. Yeah. And maybe they make little tweaks. But most stuff, I, I'm definitely not the smartest guy in the real estate room, right? Yeah. And so I think most stuff is just looking at other models and saying, like, how do we apply that to us? Mm -hmm. And then my opinion of almost everything in life is, you know, people say give maximum effort. Well, you can't give maximum effort every day for 40 years. It mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. Yeah. But you can give 80% effort every day. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like show up a little bit. And in 20 years, that little bit is a lot. And yeah. that can be money. It could be fitness. It could be sports, yeah. right? You start at 10 and put 10 years in a little bit every day, right? You do. I love this analogy. Um, one of my buddy's kids um, was a stud soccer player. And when he was like six, I was like, hey, how'd you, or how was the game this weekend? He's like, ah, good. I was like, how, uh, uh, his name was Mac. I was like, how'd Mac do? He's like, he scored seven goals. I was like, <laughs> seven goals? I was like, how do you do that? He's like, well, we practice an extra five minutes every day. Perfect. He's like, for every week, my kids got 35 more minutes of practice. And for every year, right, you multiply 35 times 52, he's got another 1,500 minutes than every other kid out there. Because most kids will go to practice, they'll go out and play a game on the weekend. He's mm -hmm. like, I'm not, they're not doing hours every night. Mm -hmm. But then what happened with that kid is as he got older, he just kept doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And he had hundreds of hours more practice than everybody else. That's what I tell kids when I give lessons. Do this. Do 30 of these a day. Yeah. Break it into groups. Do 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon, 10 at night. Like it takes you 20 seconds. Yep. But and that's 30 reps a day. You compound that over a week, over a month, over a year. Now those up. movement patterns are. You don't even think about it. No, that's right. <laughs> and and financial is no different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Spend 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You spend 10 minutes. And this is where I would push back on you guys as athletes. I was not a professional athlete. I understand the grind. But 10 minutes a day, that's 70 minutes a week. You read. Yeah. It's a podcast. It's something where you're saying, how am I getting better? And yeah. at the, the end of the year, you got an extra couple thousand minutes yeah. than everybody else. Yeah. And I but think that's— But, too, you got to be able to, to, to have the, I guess, the patience to be like, I'm not going to learn this all in one day. Yeah. Like, a lot of people, they get bored or well, they get frustrated with just not, not knowing exactly everything they needed to know in that instant, in that moment. But as we just sit here and said, like, nah, like, you got to keep putting in that time that over time, like, it may click, it'll click at mm -hmm. some point, you know, if you truly believe that's something that you want to do. You and you, you forget that. Yeah. The athlete, athletes that play at the level we play, you forget that you were not good. Like. You started somewhere. Yep. You know. You still probably know people that were better than you to this day. Oh. High school kids. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know them yeah. to this day that they were better than you. But, you but know, it drove you. yeah, it drove you yeah. to to push every day. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's a big piece of that, too, is setting a goal. Mm -hmm. Right? And like you said, I'm not going to get it today, but in the next five years, right, or whatever, I want to retire from my job. Okay. Or in your mind, I want to work for 15 years. Mm -hmm. well, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot of 10-minute reps yeah. in 15 years. Yeah. Um, and, and if— you know, if you can keep that piece in mind, that's the difference between people who win and don't mm -hmm. is they they got a long-term goal and they'll work every day towards it. And and I'll speak from the fitness industry, right? My wife owns a gym. The fitness industry is a, I don't know the exact number, but tens or hundreds of billions of dollars a year. It's not hard to stay in shape. Mm -hmm. 
right? Simple, not easy. You just go work out and consume less calories than you eat. Mm -hmm. But people really struggle with that. People can't save for retirement. Mm -hmm. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. You save a little bit for a long time. But Alex, to your point, it's really hard to look 30 years down the road and be like, I'm saving for that. Yeah. I think that's the big difference. The people mm -hmm. who can make sacrifices now for the long term. Athletes, financial guys, real estate guys. Anybody. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave you with one example because I just talked to the guy. So he's a developer in Tennessee. He'll be a billionaire in the next five years. Wow. Ish. As, as long as his net worth kind of continues to compound at the rate he's at. And what he will tell you is... Uh, he's, he will tell you what he finished in his high school class, which was on the lower end of that spectrum. I mean, he's not the smartest guy in the room, but it was every day. He was a teacher for 10 years, and then he just bought his first house, and then he built his first house, and he just kept a little step every time. Mm -hmm. And his his big aha for him was hiring great people. Like, he got to a point, like you said, like, I don't know everything, so we hired a guy. He's like, well, you know it better than I do. Come do it. And then that guy was like, well, we need to hire this guy. Mm -hmm. And that that's what exploded wealth. And I think, you know, for all of us, that's the lesson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Surround yourself with good people. Most definitely. Without a doubt. Matt, we appreciate you. My pleasure. Coming on. Yeah, it was nice to meet you. You too as well. Hopefully we'll have you back on again, Love talking it. more, inspiring, you know, others to, you know, continue to grow and do what they need to do to build that wealth and that financial freedom as we all try to seek, you know. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. Hey, Matt, where can, can people do. find you? Yes, sir. Uh, at MattCaps55 on Twitter. Okay. X. It's not uh, Twitter anymore. X, I'm sorry. I don't remember my handle on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, though. Oh. I should remember. It might be at MattCaps55. I wore 55. If you okay. We'll have people look it up. Yeah. They'll find you. Yeah. Perfect. Well, if anybody wants to uh, put another deal in front of you, they got a soybean field that they need some developing Let's on. Do <laughs> Send do Matt a, a DM. Let's get it moving. Yep. Yes, That'd sir. Be awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Game. Please like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms. It really helps others find the show. And a special shout out to Open Heart Media who helps with the production. Check them out at openheartmediaco.com. 